0: If, for example, we we indulge in this myth that women are naturally more compassionate, more empathetic, that also means we have to be less good at certain things. So what are we gonna be less good at? Decisiveness, strategic clarity, the ability to make tough decisions, which will just reinforce the existing stereotypes that women belong in caring leadership positions and not in business leadership positions. And I think that is a very dangerous trajectory.
1: Welcome back to The Tea with Nikki. We are pro-tea, not anti-coffee. And what you can find on the Tea with Nikki is candid conversations with women who are industry leaders, whether they are in the corporate space, sports field, or even entrepreneurs governing their own business. They spill the tea on how they got to where they are today, their failures along the way. We have some fun and interesting moments too. Today, I sit with Ramona Ligrov who has 25 years experience in building and leading high performance teams that focus on early stage investment and impact, innovation, and in the emerging market sphere. She was previously in marketing, found her way after an awful moment into financial advisory. And she has a master's from Yale University and also from the London School of Economics. She believes that she is a lifelong learner and she has really incredible insights as to what she believes the gender roles of leadership is and whether they should exist or not. I wanted to add in why I took a little break from the Tea with Nikki. I wanted to start doing these in seasons to sort of bring it all together, make sure that I have a set trajectory and where I want to go and a plan and the type of woman I want to interview as well as having different focuses because I've been speaking to a lot of women who are in corporate. I'd love to speak to more athletes as well and more entrepreneurs, which is awesome too. As you can see, I'm not in my usual space. So this is also why I took a bit of a beat, not necessarily because of the seasons, but because I'm not in my usual space. I've been so distracted. There's been so much going on. I flew up to Pretoria for one of my best friends supposed to have been weddings, which was actually disappointing that she couldn't have it now and we couldn't see her be the most beautiful bride ever. But it was such a blessing in the fact that I got to spend 12 days with two of my best friends that I only get to see once a year. So it's been a very special near dear time for me. I've been working in the meantime, doing Future Females, and unfortunately I didn't have the capacity to also edit my videos but I'm glad I had a little season break. I got to recoup and I'm gonna be back better than ever. Hi Ramona. Hey Nikki, how are you? Good, thanks, and yourself? I'm fine, thank you. So you regard yourself as a global SDG investor. What does SDG stand for and what does that mean exactly? The
0: SDGs are the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And they're basically a to-do list for what we should do as a world together, a planet and society, in order to make a world that we all want to live in. So some of them are obvious, like climate actions, reducing inequality, um, strong institutions. But many of them are areas that could actually be addressed with innovation, which requires investment. So a lot of what I do is both personally and kind of institutionally work to get capital into the innovations that are actually going to fund the achievement of these goals. Luckily, the SDGs are also extremely well documented and you can basically figure out exactly where a certain company contributes to them. So it makes it makes it pretty helpful for everyone to have a common language.
1: You've also been involved in several innovative roles in well-known and established companies such as Nielsen in London, Mm -hmm. Energy SE in Berlin. What does someone do as an SVP or COO of an innovation (laughs) practice? And what does that mean as well? Right.
0: Well, they were quite different roles, actually. So for about 10 years, I was in charge of agency teams that worked with large clients all around the world. And the role of those teams, we were basically paid to help our clients like Unilever or PepsiCo with their innovation work. And what that means is basically ensuring that when they launched a new product to market, that it was successful, that it was priced appropriately, um, that there was a consumer need driving it, that it was in the right place, that it was advertised properly that it actually had a reason to exist um, so that was sort of the roles at somewhere like nielsen where you're really effectively an outsourced arm of a, of a client that's global um, and trying to push into new markets with new products at energy it was slightly different because there i was the chief operating officer of their internal venture fund and it basically combined investing in startups that were building the future of the energy system but also had a number of internal spin-outs and developments. And in both of these roles, you're responsible for two things primarily. You're responsible for how the resources, the money and the talent are used, and you're responsible for the results. Both are quite challenging because obviously innovation is by definition hard to predict. So you've got to be quite nimble and you've also got to be quite unafraid of making some fairly brutal decisions to stop doing things so that you can carry on doing others. That's it in a nutshell.
1: In a nutshell, and there's... It's so difficult, I can imagine, because there's just so much that's below the surface that you have to also get to and address in in the title and in what you're doing.
0: Well, I think one of the toughest things about a role like that is the politics. So, for example, if you are leading a very large client relationship for an agency, your own company has goals and interests, right? They want you to keep growing the relationship they want you to keep being more profitable. However, your client also has goals and interests. They want the best people on their business and they want to get the best deal that they can. So you're constantly balancing those interests against each other. It's fine as long as everyone is reasonable, but that's very rarely the case. Yeah. Uh, Human nature,
1: unfortunately.
0: I think it's structures, actually, rather than nature. I wouldn't wouldn't put it down to... I actually find individuals to be reasonable, but often the structures under which they work and the pressure under which they work to be quite unreasonable. So I'm a little more optimistic
1: on human nature. (laughs) Okay, so I I just want to... Go off that a little bit, off the back of that. Mm-hmm. So you say you think it's a bit more to do with the structure than the actual human nature. What do you yeah. by the structure of it exactly?
0: You look <laughs> at how most large companies are managed, right? First of all, they're quite complex. They exist in many, many countries. There's a lot of history there. Occasionally, it, a company will be built of many other companies that predated it, all with their own cultures and their own norms. It's difficult to get information around and really get to a clear perspective on any given issue also people are always trying to do quarterly forecasts when when as we did we ran more than a thousand projects a year a quarterly forecast is a bit odd because you frankly have no idea exactly how much is going to come in and often you have to spend three to six months developing an opportunity so what does a quarterly forecast really tell you not a great deal so i think just sometimes some of the measures and some of the systems that we put in place and by the way the ones that also privilege individual activity or trying to take individual credit over team activity don't help us very much
1: i also see that you've been involved in quite a few accelerator and incubators in your career what drew you to mm-hmm.
0: well i ran one uh, and a very specific one at that it was called spring and it was basically looking at companies in east africa and south asia tasking them with innovating for the needs of adolescent girls who tend to be a very forgotten about population, but then also promising to try and find impact investment if those models were commercially viable. It may sound impossible, but actually quite a few of the companies managed to do that. The reason why an accelerator is such an interesting and exciting place is, first of all, you're creating a community of change makers. So you're building links, partnerships, and you're also helping everyone achieve more than they could individually. So that's exciting. It's also exciting because it's fast paced. Um, in many of these cases, you have very little time to figure out where and how to put your best support in for the business. So that kind of focuses the mind. So I often find you can do as much in a 30 minute or an hour call or meeting for a startup than you could over the course of several months working with them. Some Somehow all the value is concentrated in that early piece. As long as, of course, you understand the field really well and you've distilled some understanding of what the startup needs and i think as long as you're focused on what the startup needs rather than what you need so i think accelerators are great you know as long as they have a clear focus and as long as they have the right support they can be a brilliant way of of bringing a lot of
1: good very quickly and what are you currently doing in your career? So I'm
0: looking, basically. What happened to us is we basically became Brexit refugees. When it looked like Brexit would happen, we bought a flat in Berlin. I happened shortly after that to get a job in Berlin, the job at energy that I hoped would be a job that would last for many years. It was an executive level role, it was global, it carried significant responsibility, and all of the incentives in Germany are aligned toward long-term employment. However, because the company was broken up and merged with others, almost everyone lost their job in this particular area. So within two years, I was out of a job again and found myself really enjoying life in Berlin, but without any network or any real career fit. There's not much sustainable finance or innovation work happening in Germany. It tends to be mainly in in Europe. It's in Switzerland or in Amsterdam or in London, primarily, or in the US, none of which you know, we're really in the past willing to hire remotely, especially at at senior levels. So what I've been doing instead is, is I had another almost year working on spring. I've had a year working on reforestation finance, which is really, really interesting because it's one of these classically very difficult to fund areas. It's kind of easy to fund a, a new solar farm or a new wind farm because you know what you're building and you know how much it will pay you. So it's pretty easy to model, but when you're actually looking at what it takes to restore a landscape, and then try and build a number of other revenue models on top, whether that's sustainable tourism or carbon. A lot of these are question marks. You don't know how long it will take. So you have to get quite creative. It's not as simple, for example, in the venture capital space where you just write a check and take a stake in a company. You actually have to bring together a whole set of actors and you have to find debt financing, you have to find public finance. So I've become much more interested in the whole scope of sustainable finance through work like this. And that's what I'm doing at the moment while I try
1: and find the right people to do this with longer term. Bring me to this question that I ask everyone that graces me on my channel. What does (laughs) leadership mean to you? Well,
0: let me give this a little bit of context. I have, in addition to starting my career in marketing, I also have a, a master's in social psychology and what a lot of the research will tell you as opposed to the headlines is that a lot of the gender differences when it comes to professional roles and such as leadership are really overstated Mm -hmm. but the problem is because we're humans and we yearn for simplicity we try and encode certain leadership traits or behaviors with one gender or the other and when there is a mismatch then we basically punish the person who is not conforming so for example if a male leader were seen to be overly empathetic he might be seen as soft If a female leader were seen to be decisive, she might be seen as aggressive. We try and keep people in their boxes. And because of that, I actually reject the idea of keeping people in their boxes. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, however, that women have uh, pioneered many, many things, especially if I look at sustainable finance, I'd say 80% of the leadership in sustainable finance, which is itself a new field, are women. I don't think that's a coincidence because I do think if you are in the margins for whatever reason, gender, race, ethnicity, mindset, background, education, class, whatever it is, you will often have the privilege of an objective view. You won't take things for granted and you will also, frankly, have to push extremely hard to be okay. taken seriously and overcome things. So. To the extent that there is such a thing as female leadership, I think it is that women have to be better than the norm, are often isolated and alone, and seen as the representation of all women, wherever they are, they're in male-dominated fields, and often have quite an interesting way of looking at things from that experience. I hope we'll reach a point, Nikki, when there's no such thing as male or female leadership, there's only good leadership.
1: I agree with you. I just asked the question because there are those common associations where compassion, empathy, Those sorts of things are often associated with feminine qualities. So I want to speak into this voice and I thank you so much for sharing about what you'd said about studying social psychology and the dynamics of that. And I'm finding this conversation about gender coming up more and more. So I just want to hear, Mm -hmm. interesting to hear everyone's different perspective on what feminine leadership is. And I think maybe I must change the way (coughs) the question because I'm finding I am, Agreeing with you, I don't want to compartmentalize what good leadership is. Good leadership is good leadership, but I'm wanting to emphasize or stress the point that I think the world could do with more of these sorts of feminine leadership qualities, or maybe there should be more kind of stokes of fires within women to want to become leaders in the industry.
0: Well, there's two different things there. One is I think these qualities are human. I think to say that compassion and empathy are exclusively female qualities is a disservice to everyone. And the reason why I say that is that also means that if, for example, we, we, we indulge in this myth that women are naturally more compassionate, more empathetic, that also means we have to be less good at certain things. So what are we going to be less good at? Decisiveness, strategic clarity, the ability to make tough decisions, which will just reinforce the existing stereotypes that women belong in caring leadership positions and not in business leadership positions. And I think that is a very dangerous trajectory. So what I would say is that overall, we need leadership to be more human. Mm. We need leaders to be people with all of their complexities and vulnerabilities. We need them to have their empathy switched on from, you know, entirely and not pretend that leadership is something that can be divorced from humanity, rather than then putting female leadership on some kind of pedestal from which it cannot, it cannot actually be effective. It will always remain in the margins.
1: Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate your answer. And this brings me to the section I like to call the ABCs of your career. So Mm -hmm. what was your amazing affluent aha moment?
0: The aha moment. (laughs) Well, I can think of many, but one that stands out for me is right when I was switching away from marketing and into this whole new, exciting global development, social innovation investment space. Um, I was in rural Tanzania doing a piece of work looking at the needs of mobile users. And bear in mind at the time, only 10 years ago, very, very few people outside the big cities used mobile. So I was out and about in town and I was trying to find something on my iPad and I just felt something behind me. Um, and so in context, I was about hundred kilometers away from kind of the nearest regional town. So quite far from the capital, very much in the countryside in a small town that had been built as a mining outpost for diamonds way back when in the 19th century and had fallen out of favor when the mines closed. So I looked behind me and I realized there were about 40 children who'd been following me for some time. Staring at my iPad and trying to figure out what it was (laughs) Um, and I thought wow I take for granted having all the world's information right here that just made me kind of more committed to the mission of making sure that everyone in the world has access to the things that many of us take for granted. And I had the same feeling, by the way, when I was telling this story at a conference in San Francisco, where everyone in the audience was a smartphone user and couldn't imagine anyone who wasn't.
1: And B, what was a bad business blunder turned to blessing? this is a
0: great question and i think there was a real turning point in my career in my late 20s i was hired by a a listed company as a director of the company so with full responsibility i thought i was great right you know here i am 28 years old in charge of a division amazing an immediate division what i realized was actually the company had hired me to try and pretend that it wasn't actually fraudulent and they they thought i'd be too dumb to figure it out and to be fair i almost didn't figure it out it was only when I was looking through some paperwork over the weekend at the office that I realized what was happening. So my blunder was I went into the chairman and I said, look, I, I cannot in good conscience fulfilling my duties as a director continue in this in this field, Here, I hereby resign. Now the company was about to be sold. If I would kept my mouth shut, I probably would have walked away with about 1.6, 1.7 million pounds at that point. What happened instead was that the chairman panicked that the sale might fall through because of some stupid child who was ready to blow the whistle. Basically went to every headhunter he knew and said, don't hire her, she's crazy, she's an insane human being. So that when I quit this job and tried to find another job, I couldn't. And I couldn't figure it out until one of the headhunters being taking pity on me basically said, look, you're poison, get out of town. So at that point I actually ended up working in the US again. <laughs> and that kick-started my career in a completely different direction so even though it was awful at the time and i can't describe how humiliated how embarrassed how lonely that was um it made me absolutely clear that for me ethics were non-negotiable and it's something i've tried to keep going with ever since that point so i think it was a blunder turned blessing in the
1: end (laughs) definitely it was definitely a redirection and now look where you where you are you've been in incredible incubators, accelerators, and see what was a comical cinematic moment for you.
0: Oh God! So I, I, just I, as soon as I read that question, this popped into my head and I couldn't get rid of it. So I'll, I'll just tell the story. Um, <laughs> for about three years, I was commuting between New York and London because I was leading the PepsiCo relationship globally, and their head office is outside of New York City. You have to get there on a train. It's, it's, a, it's quite a long way. I think I was jet lagged for about the entire three years. Um, and it happened to be, there's, there was one, you know, beautiful late summer morning. I'd gotten myself onto the train. I had kind of 45 minutes ahead of me to just chill out. I got up at one point and there was a nail or something sticking out of one of the, the side, um, the, the seats. And I felt my trousers rip completely from waist to thigh. <laughs> and this rush of cool air as basically my clothing stopped covering my ass. And I was just like, Oh no, I've got this board meeting, you know, I'm going to be late. So I literally ran out of the station, kind of clutching my, my trousers together. So yeah. I didn't have a coat or anything. It was really nice weather. I didn't, you know, it just, it was just me and my broken trousers. And I was like, "Head to the cab, I was like, take me to the nearest shopping mall. It was three minutes to opening time. I ran into the shop. I bought a pair of trousers. I threw them on. I got back in the cab and I got to to headquarters and I was two minutes early. And I was like, Oh. oh. A sweating you know in <laughs> pair of trousers didn't really fit me very well you know because they were like winter trousers except that's all there was in the shop i mean i was just so grateful not to be know, late <laughs> Have my ass flapping in the <laughs> Not <bad>. hopefully, that's <laughs> <a meeting. laughs> hopefully you can picture that that would have been a scene in a movie for sure
1: <laughs> she's about to go make her pitch she's got a books and um <laughs> <laughs> that does sound ex- Oh yeah, dramatic moment. <laughs> it was. <laughs> awesome, now it's the challenge part. So,
0: um, it's a gem, it's red, uh, it's a birthstone, yes. Um, there is uh, a place that, that uh, I'm going to sit there for a second, I don't even know what that one is. Um, someone on a jury who's the person who tries to get everyone together in a trial Judge, prosecutor, uh, uh, of the of the jurors. Who leads the jurors? Path. I, 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 no. Okay. Um. There's not. A... <laughs> the time definitely did not. What was that one? It was a foreman of
1: a jury. Uh, it's the very famous museum in Paris. It's got the triangle. The Louvre. Yes. Um, one of the richest countries in the world, next to Switzerland. Liechtenstein, Luxembourg. Yes. Um, it was one of, okay, what comes after 10? 11. And it was one of the space missions up into space. Apollo 11. Yes. Um, okay, time's up. That was good. Uh, not bad. 5. So it was Apollo 11, Love. Paramour, I wouldn't know how to describe that. I only know them as a musical. Yeah, um, someone who is adored but not officially.
0: <laughs> I might have thought concubine, paramour. you know. You've taught me a new word today,
1: paramore. <laughs> Luxembourg and musket. I don't know musket.
0: Musket's like a gun, like an old gun. Okay, you. Is it musk- musket okay, right, or muscat? So which... Musket. <laughs> musket, okay, like bang bang. Okay, like long, thin, uh, lock stock and two shooting barrels. A musket is the the, the, the gun in lock stock so.
1: Now, that brings me to the lightning round, quick fire round, where I just ask you a few questions, um, five questions, and you just get off the top of your head. Are you a morning person or an evening person?
0: Morning, earlier the better.
1: I'm also 5 a.m., and people can't understand it, and it just (laughs) makes life so easy, because then I can enjoy my day. (laughs) what is one thing in your daily routine that you could not live without
0: my bicycle i basically cycle everywhere and it gives me the chance to think some fresh air some exercise me and my bike like this
1: and what are two books that changed your life this is the hardest question, like only two? It's just unfair. Um, but
0: I did think in the in the spirit of feminism, I thought Down Girl by Kate Moss was, Mossy was a really good explanation of why misogyny exists. It's horrifying and I highly, highly recommend it. It really opened my eyes. And then on a slightly lighter note, I love Japanese literature. And there's an amazing author called Haruki Murakami who also runs a jazz bar. You know, it's very unusual and he's a lead translator of uh, hard-boiled American fiction and he wrote a book called what I talk about when I talk about running which is itself a play on a Raymond Carver title of what I think about or what I write about so it it was basically him becoming an ultra marathoner at 50 and writing about that experience so those are just two I could have mentioned 150
1: who are three people that you would have over for a dinner party dead or alive Oh, this
0: is also really, 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 really tough. Okay.
1: So Artemisia Gentileschi
0: was a renaissance painter who was really the only woman painting at the time and I wonder what life would have been like for her. So I'd like to bring her back and hear her story. Someone alive who I've had the privilege of having dinner with but I was not alone and I would love to talk to her more is Margaret Atwood. She is amazing and then actually I would quite like to invite one of the the people who started the U.S. one of the sort of so-called founding fathers and make them account for a few of the things they put in the constitution. So I'm not sure which one I'd pick, but maybe Madison or Hamilton.
1: Interesting, interesting choices. And last question, what is your favorite kind of tea?
0: Russian Caravan, because it carries a sort of hint of exotic lands and it's also very strong. <laughs> it's a bit like Lapsang Souchong, it's a kind of strong blend of Russian tea with, with some citrus oils and it's delicious.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Tea with Nikki Ramona. I really appreciate it and for taking the- A
0: pleasure. It's a great format. Thank you so much for putting all the thought into it and, uh, and for the conversation.
1: I absolutely loved speaking to Ramona. It was so amazing having an academic on the channel with me. She just knows so much and I would consider myself quite a good 30 seconds player, but she just knew everything else. So I collapsed a little bit. I loved what she had to say about gender traits, whereas it's compassion, empathy, but then it also takes away from you know, decisiveness, assertiveness, which is then why are we compartmentalizing what is male and female? Why can we not just say that as a good leader? And I think that definitely going forward, that should be the perspective. But unfortunately, I think in the current climate, there is the stress of the gender divide, currently what's going on in society. But I am with you, Ramona, I agree, let's move towards good leadership and not gender-based leadership. And I would just like to thank Ramona again for joining me and I can't wait to see what you get stuck into and where you are going to be making an impact.